the Science Inside podcast. This is the Science Inside with Elna. Hello and welcome to another Monday's Science Inside with myself, Elna Schertz. And me, Lebohang Madisha. So today is the first Monday of the month, Lebo, and we always do a special thing. Feature Scientist Week, which means that we look at a specific scientist and what they're doing in their field of work. It's a really nice time to just hone in, focus on one person, what makes them unique and just what kind of impact they're having on the world of science, but also the world at large. And then we also dig into just a little bit deeper into who they are as an individual once the lab coats and thinking caps come off. And today, our very special guest is Vivi Pasha, who is a product development technician. She'll be unpacking the science behind cosmetics and most, more interestingly rather, making safer, efficient and more environmentally friendly cosmetic products. Right. And you know what, Lebo, I'm so careful and I think a lot of us are careful about what we put into our bodies. So what am I eating? What am I drinking? Is everything safe? True. But... I just put on some lipstick, as I do every morning. And, you know, sometimes when you want to look nice for the show, even though it's radio, you know, you need, <laughs> a, you need, need to bring your best game. I, what is if it's not safe? That's the thing. You never really consider that. A lot of the time it's more about your skin. But, like, all around cosmetics, it's it's just something that we don't consider. And there's a lot of regulations around what goes into these things. These products are regulated by Cosmetics, Toilets and Fragrance Association of South Africa or the CTFA and the South African Bureau of Standards or the SABS. These associations govern what goes into a product and ensure that products correctly state their contents and so forth. That's great. I'm glad these regulations are in place. But let's be honest, when have you ever picked up any kind of skin product? And this isn't just for lipsticks and mascaras. If you're a guy listening and maybe you use shaving cream or a cream for your hands or your face or whatever, even your soap, whenever have you picked that up and, you know, like like looked at those sneaky labels? You just pick the one that smells the best. Honestly, because those labels are so so fine print it's it's ridiculous it's like they almost don't want you to know what's in that product they're so small and now the other thing is the words that they use are things that no one uses like no one knows what the words mean so imagine going grocery shopping and then carrying a dictionary just to find out what effects this product is gonna have on you if that word is in the dictionary because it's generally like very scientific words on the products it's it's ridiculous really and it, it usually as you say is also a very specific chemical word that maybe this company is using and the other company would do something else exactly. they're not gonna say you know Aqua, sugar, comma, poison. That's not, <laughs> <Comma> poison. <laughs> that's not going to happen. And, you know, I know that it might seem like a frivolous topic, but all of all of you out there listening are saying, really, Alna, nobody's ever died from a body lotion. I've never heard of <laughs> all of those lipstick deaths. <laughs> you know, Death but, by lipstick. No, it's not a thing. But the thing is... All of those ingredients in your makeup, in your skincare, whatever products you're using on your body, they have synthetic colorants, often aromas and pigments, and all of this can cause quite serious skin irritation and allergies. Also, there's preservatives, which are sometimes not approved and they can lead to migraines in some cases. There have been reports... Even worse, there are sometimes cosmetics that have heavy metals in them, like aluminium, cadmium, manganese, or even lead. I'm not saying everything. I'm just saying these are some cases. I mean, this is quite alarming, considering how many eyebrows eyebrows are drawn on people's faces every day. <laughs> sometimes not very well. <laughs> exactly. And it does sound pretty dangerous especially for women who are at high risk of exposing their kids their unborn children to these elements yeah if somebody's pregnant and they're using these things you know you never know so as i said earlier it's not just for the ladies we all use deodorant body lotion etc and there's even been concerns about things like teeth whitening toothpastes and of course this is one of those products that always comes up in these conversations 
skin lightening <laughs> being a diy yellow bone is gonna come back for you guys <laughs> but i mean this is the price that y'all want to pay for beauty isn't it i guess but it's not just the products that we find in our clicks or discams that are dangerous i mean we have people like students myself who are really working on a low budget and would rather opt for an unbranded cheaper product which are generally found on the streets and don't have labels, let alone a name. So you never really know what you're putting on your skin or on your body as a whole. I've heard that so many times from from people who say, oh, it's just like MAC. But but just because it feels like MAC and looks like MAC... It's not MAC. And you're not not (laughs) paying for that. I'm not saying MAC is perfect either. Uh But it does worry me if... Yes, there's budgets, but there's also safety. Exactly. And to be safe at the same time is a good thing, which is why it is great that we have this guest today who's going to enlighten us on the scientific side of cosmetics. Exactly, because somebody needs to do the hard work of protecting us. Also, we don't have to worry and fear monger like you and I have just done. <laughs> Scared everybody about their toothpaste. Our feature scientist today is product development specialist at the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research. That's the CSIR. Vivi Pasha, who will be with us later in the show. And we'll take a break from the conversation with our on science today, which is talking about how smiling doesn't necessarily mean that you're happy. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe you're just taking a selfie and you feel like you have to smile. Also, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> like, I'm not really happy when I'm taking a selfie. In fact, sometimes when I'm taking a photo, I take so many photos smiling that my cheeks get tired. And it's just like the stale looking photo at the end, like the stale smile looking at me. I'm like, oh, darn. <laughs> maybe that should be the next stage of the research that we're talking about. <laughs> so, um... After that, we will uh, continue speaking to Vivi Pasha. But if you want to get in on this conversation, maybe you have a specific question for Vivi and you want to ask, what about this product that I've bought or what must I be careful of? Whatever you want to ask, you can get in touch with us on our social media platforms. And you can get on touch, in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter as VowFM and make sure you use the hashtag, hashtag signs inside. And on our podcast, Alna, so it's up on iTunes, The Science Inside, if you missed any part of the show. It's also on our website, which is vits, that's W-I-T-S, dot journalism.coza forward slash science. Or you can catch us on our on our WhatsApp line at 084-078-4912. Okay, now that that is out of the way, let's jump into our show. We always start off every single week with some science news. This week's Science Headline. Level, what do you have for us? I have a bit of an interesting story today, Alna. It's from the Columbia University School of Engineering and Applied Science via Science, Science Daily. And it's about how paint can make things cooler. And I'm not talking swaggy, cool, no. Can making, make things cooler as in turn down the temperature. I was just about to say, like, if you're trying to, like, have a nice black wall so that all your friends think you're edgy, I don't know. (laughs) Just paint your wall black, guys. It's simple. (laughs) Anyway, engineers have invented a polymer coating that can that can make buildings cooler. This coating can be used as a paint on buildings, cars, spacecrafts, maybe even you, pretty much anything that can be painted. And with global warming being as real as it is and rising temperatures being an inevitable reality that will only get worse, especially in a developing country like our own, alternative ways of keeping cool are becoming more and more essential. Now, cooling methods like air conditioning tend to be very expensive, let alone a fan. That's pretty expensive. Now, since these are very expensive ways of keeping cool, scientists have come up with an energy-intensive cooling method known as the passive daytime radiative cooling, or PDRC. This is a phenomenon where a surface cools by reflecting sunlight and radiating heat out into the atmosphere. This method works if a surface absorbs minimum amounts of heat and radiates a heck of a lot of heat, which makes sense. Okay, so they they created this method and then they turned it into a paint? Pretty, pretty much. 
So the researchers at Columbia Engineering made a high-performance exterior PDRC polymer coating with very small air holes, which are about nano to micro scale size, which is really small. And they, in- they instantly cool the air. They used a solution-based phase inversion technique, and this results in a polymer having a porous and foam-like structure to it. Okay, so you were talking earlier about reflecting sunlight, mm-hmm. and, and I'm guessing that keeps the inside cool, but how exactly does this work? Okay, let me bring it together for you here. Yeah. <laughs> so the tiny air holes reflect and scatter sunlight because of the different refractive indices that exist between the air hole and the polymer itself. Then the polymer then turns white, and its intrinsic emittance properties allow it to lose heat. So that's how it keeps cool. Making these normally transparent polymers reflective without using mirrors is actually quite difficult. So scientists had a really tough time trying to develop this type of technology. And so phase inversion was then used. What that is, is a simple solution-based method for making light scattering air holes in polymers. Now polymers are generally used in our everyday paints. So they are a normal thing that exists. But the engineers at Columbia Engineering just add a little bit of a twist to it and replace the pigment in white, in white paint rather, with air holes that reflect all wavelengths of light, including UV and infrared. Okay, that's really interesting and helpful in light of climate change. But I noticed that you keep using the color white only. And there's this very famous, <laughs> there's this very famous joke or quote about uh, Ford when he created the first cars where he said, you can have any color you want as long as it's black. So is this <laughs> okay? Is it this kind of that kind of situation? Actually, no, they're not playing with with anyone out here. They actually do have other colors, and how they created the other colors wasn't a complex situation. They just added dye to it. Okay, <laughs> okay, that's not too high tech. I, I I'm following that. Mm. So, what about the performance of the coating as a paint? Exactly, because color is a result of a surface absorbing sunlight so you'd assume that if you change the color you'd change the rate at which light is being absorbed and therefore heating or cooling the surface a little bit more right. but there is a balance between the efficiency of the coating and the color and it's very delicate but scientists scientists did maintain it and this allowed the surfaces painted with even the colored coatings to be kept cool But you can only imagine that there is a limited amount of color that you can pick because if you go black, it's like, ah, come on now. (laughs) It's not, it's not very logical to pick a black surface if you're trying to keep a building cool altogether. And white is actually the most attainable color, which makes sense. This is according to Nanfang Yu, an associate professor of applied physics. And white is the easiest is the most attainable color because it can be made from properly sized air holes embedded in a transparent medium. That sounds pretty simple. So that's why it's easier. And he also added that these air holes are also the reason why we see snow as white. Ah, clever. Mm. That's very smart. You know what I like about this, um, this particular story is that so many of our solutions that we have to heat in buildings are uh, are you know like you said our air cons our fans we're just trying to continually fix this problem True. whereas here with the paint you're sort of from the start trying to make a difference in how you build the building and it's once off I'm guessing or at least only every few years of a new coating you're not trying to constantly spend more electricity more effort That's more true. money in in cooling something that is hot rather start start from the beginning with the basics but it actually had me thinking about the colors because the way we do paint our surroundings does affect the temperature and i never really thought about it but now that it's a real thing we might want to consider just painting our walls white inside a room rather to keep it cool i thought that was a pretty interesting fact or bright happy yellow that too (laughs) So today, Lebo, in my news story, I just want to ask you first, do you consider yourself a kind person? 
Not at all times. <laughs> <laughs> not when I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not when I'm hungry. I, but you, but I think most people do see themselves at least a little bit kind. Maybe not all the time, but you're nice to people that you like, surely. You get those fuzzy feelings. That's true. So I think most of us usually think of kindness as when we're being selfless right i'm just being super nice i brought you a big bunch of flowers or chocolates or whatever just just because i'm so generous and selfless but it turns out that the brain benefits of kindness happen whether there is something in it for you or not so even when you're being kind because you're being selfish because you hope that that person will now be kind back to you you are still benefiting from it or your brain still likes it basically it makes sense right so this comes from the university of sussex psychologists there reviewed lots of research from different studies that scanned the brains of over a thousand people making kind decisions apparently what they were looking at specifically in these results is whether it makes any difference when you stand to gain something from your kindness or not would your brain register altruistic so that's selfless or strategic so selfish kindness as more rewarding i mean i feel like from a young age you're just trained to do nice things in order to get nice things back so i'm guessing that's the best one (laughs) well that does make sense even though i think our society um tries to make us want to be kind just for the just for the sake of it for the sake of other which people which is a good right? thing yeah um, so this research showed that your brain's reward center is more active like you guess level when you're being strategically kind so there's some chance of personal benefit in it for you when you're just being kind for the sake of it those parts of your brain are also working but not as much and quite importantly other regions in your brain are also very engaged when you're just being generous for the sake of it. So basically that means there is something special about pure generosity, even though it doesn't register as as much of a reward to your brain. Okay, that does make sense really, because I'm sure I'm sure it is more rewarding to both to be good to someone else and like up your chances of being like of feeling good rather yes so you kind of you kind of want yeah we want we want both so if i can do something really nice to you and then you're nice back to me that's win-win exactly that's great for my brain and for that's you it's like a double win low-key because you win i win but like you win psychologically it's yeah even your brain wins yeah. we all win <laughs> so you may be wondering what what good is there to these findings, right? Like, why did they need to know this? Especially because it, there is a certain degree of um, intu- intuitiveness to these results. You you guessed correctly when I asked you, right? True. Um, so basically, this research is helpful in understanding people's motivations for kindness in terms of how things work in our society around being generous and, you know, as, as an individual being part of a of the bigger society so it could help charities and governments make better decisions to understand how your brain works around this so when your government asks you to give something or freely participate in something whether that's voting or social work or you know charity work or whatever that might be understanding how the brain works can help them do that in a way that is more likely to get people um, enthusiastic about it so these two kinds of kindness that, the kindness that I was speaking about overlap in terms of your brain areas. So you want to be specific in terms of what emotional response would be more fitting, the strategic or the, or the altruistic generous kindness, right? And what would be more, most helpful in terms of people helping you. So for instance, and I found this was really interesting, if a charity gives little thank you gifts to their donors which a lot of charities do mm-hmm. like for many years i received these these south african guide dog calendars every year <laughs> because i did something once and i was like i'm sure you've spent three times the amount i spent but okay uh, so a lot of charities do this but this research seems to point that doing that kind of small thank you may actually undermine their sense so the donor's sense of doing something just out of the goodness of their hearts and it turns it into something like transactional so oh, wow. 
So imagine um, you offer to help me move my house. And then at the end of it, you're being so kind. You're helping me on your Saturday. And then at the end, I try to give you 10 rand to say thank you. It, it becomes that awkward. It creates a very awkward vibe. Yes. Especially because maybe I did it just because you were like, oh, could you please help me? And I didn't expect anything in return. So I do get that. I also I'd also feel like uh like am I really truly helping you if I'm getting something from you after helping you but I'm getting it's like yeah it's but it's also it takes not, away from the helping I feel. Yes, and the interesting thing about the study is that once you put a monetary or it doesn't have to be monetary it can be a gift or whatever. Once you put that on um on that kind of generosity, often a person will then start to see it transactionally and then feel like your 10 rand isn't enough though exactly also if you're gonna give me 10 rand for moving with like moving a whole house i'm gonna be like thanks but really you've turned it into money now so yeah. why why are you? give me the true value now <laughs> <laughs> so there's some brain science for you if you want to be generous and kind or a friend wants to be generous and kind to you maybe just accept it it's okay mm. everybody wins exactly <laughs> That was our science news. Up after the break, we get into our feature scientist show. This is the Science Inside with Elna. Hello, you're listening to the Science Inside. Welcome back to the show. Remember, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter as VowFM, hashtag Science Inside. So earlier, we did tell you that this is the one week in the month where we focus on one scientist in particular, Lebo. And we just like to take some time to really dig into it, into their work, into um, their motivations as a person. It's just nice because we're always talking about the science. It's nice to really put a face to it, right? So today we have Vivi Pasha with us as our feature scientist on the show. And we will be talking to her about her work, which involves something that we all love to some degree. It's cosmetics body lotions even your shaving cream whatever you put on your face (laughs) cosmetic shopping is quite fun actually so i feel like everyone has a secret love for cosmetics and even if you don't wear makeup maybe maybe you're that man who goes and sniffs all the body (laughs) body washes and tries to find the best smelling one or like the deodorants true i i do that i smell deodorants until they stop me in the shops (laughs) (laughs) Well, our guest today is under 35 years old and she is a, she's from very humble beginnings. She graduated with a degree in chemistry from the University of Johannesburg and a postgraduate diploma in cosmetic production formulation from the Northwest University. Currently, she is working in the labs at the CSIR, or the Council of Scientific and Industrial Research, creating safe, efficient and sustainable cosmetic products. Vivi has had a long journey with the CSIR. She was once a chemistry intern and now she's making strides in the field that she's working in, in this field of cosmetics, as a product development and technician. She is also currently completing her honours degree in formulation science at uh, Nelson Mandela University. Over the years, she has worked with a couple of black-owned companies and through her expertise has helped them to develop safer products without compromising the quality of their product. Vivi, welcome to the Science Inside. It's so nice to have you with us tonight. Oh, thank you for having me. How are you? I'm well and I'm very excited, I think, especially because we're both women on the show. It's nice to just talk <laughs> about those pretty things for once from a scientific exactly. perspective. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so, it's so nice to, to come and have a chat with you guys with the work that I do. <laughs> so let's start off broadly, which is probably what everybody wants to know when they walk into a Discam or a Clicks or a Max store. Um, and as as I've said earlier, this is um, for all of our listeners, any body products, not just makeup, of course. What can people learn from you as as a chemist in terms of selecting beauty products? Pardon? Um, can you please keep it because I think the line is too bad. You say when consumers walk into shops, right? 
Yes. So and let's. Sure. Let's see how this line does. We're going to uh, keep trying with it for now. Let's let's see. So I was asking, what can people learn from you about selecting their beauty products? How can we choose the best safe beauty products? Okay. Uh, first of all, a product must be identified as to what it is. It must also have functions written on the on the label of the product, and then there are also ingredients list, listing at the back of your product, at the back panel of the product. So every time when you buy your product, you need to go and look. What is it that you need? If, if you have a problem with dry skin, you obviously look for a moisturizer and so forth. So it is quite safe to buy a product which is identified and has the. And the date of expiry of the product. Those are very important factors when consumers are purchasing their products. So we always talk about safe and efficient products like you have now, but what does that exactly mean? Does it have to be all animal cruelty free, plant based, locally made? What makes something safe to use? Uh, to me, it's, it's the formula. You know, cosmetic chemistry is more like cooking. So when you're working in the lab, you, you get to, to work with different ingredients. And just from receiving the brief from the client, you already know what the client wants. And there's quite a lot of ingredients that are available in the market. So what we do is we look at what's best and what's proven to work and what is safe. You know, the safety is a very important part of of it all. So what excites me is to see clients happy with their products and the products must be able to, like, you know, they must be efficient. So as a cosmetic chemist, it's quite nice for you to go out there and deliver products that consumer will be happy with. Hmm. And we keep saying safety of these products, which does get me a little bit worried. What are the real risks here? Is my lipstick going to kill me? Okay. The real risks are are products that, what I said at the beginning of the interview is that your product must be legal. So obviously in a discamoretic, all those products comply with regulation and then you will have uh, ingredient listing and you will see what what goes into the product. So most products, like South Africa now, is facing a crisis of products that are sold on the streets and they are not really safe for you because they would promise you to brighten your skin, you know. And and that is quite a problem because those ingredients that are used in the products, they are not really safe for the human skin over prolonged uses. So they can only be used as prescriptions, but then... Because we want to look brighter or younger, we would then go and purchase those products. So the safety comes from the toxicological properties of the ingredients that are used and the regulations. There would be guidelines saying you shouldn't use more than 1% in the formulation. And then that's where we come in because we look at the, the level of toxicity of the ingredients and then we come up with products. So obviously... Any approved product you can find in a retail store, but all these other ones that are sold illegally, they they are just not safe. And it is a sad reality that we're facing that so many people are buying these very unsafe products off the streets. And... Mm really they need to get a little bit more informed but I have another question for you you've worked with companies that have made products for ethnic hair and things like relaxers like are they really safe to use are they other safer alternatives of relaxing your hair say well I wouldn't say we look at um, the hair types number one our hair types as black people the hair is curly the structure of the hair it is curly so for you to go and straighten it, it's, it's when you use this cream relaxers. They are not really harmful, but um, what, I, what I would say is to young children, because they are still growing, it, it, it wouldn't be recommended for you to apply this relaxers to babies or young children. Why? Because what they do is when you apply them on the head, 
they go and change your SS bonds. The hair has what we call the SS bonds, and then the SS bonds will then stretch, you know. And other ways of maybe stretching our hair, it can be through other methods such as applying conditioner and stretching with a comb and a hair dryer. Like when you apply heat on your hair while combing at the same time, that can also stretch. But you do know that um, in a few days, the, the, the hair will go big and become curly. So clean relaxers are not really that dangerous, so long as they are used by professionals and you also follow the instructions on the, on the label, you know. And there's caution and warning statements as well, which are labeled on those products. Therefore, you just use, or you use them according to instructions, and they are not really harmful. Mm. Vivi, we've spoken a lot about safe products, but can you take us through the process of how a product gets made, specifically your part in it? Um, what is the, the process as a chemist of creating and testing a product? Okay, number one, we receive a client from the, a, a client would come and give us a brief. Say maybe you come to us, you want a day moisturizer, for example. Um, we look at what 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 are the unique sales points of your product. So if because there are so many moisturizers in the market, so why yours? How unique is yours? How uh, how is it going to sell? That is. So we look at the ingredients that you want. The first step is to select the ingredients according to to their toxicological properties, like I've said before, and also what you need. So when we receive a brief, we already know she wants a moisturizer, which will moisturize for 24 hours. We then select our ingredients carefully. Number two is we outsource the ingredients, and then we do the batch, the batch experiment, we formulate, and then we call the client to come and test the, 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 the product. If they are happy with the feel, the color, the odor, and the appearance, and the thickness maybe, we would, when the, the client is happy with those um, specs, we then upscale and then send our, um, our, our samples for testing. So we would then test for stability, we test for shelf life study, we, sh- we test for dermal safety. Are they safe to apply on the skin? We then test for efficacy. And once all those tests are passed, we then now go to a bigger scale, which is manufacturing. So this are then made, all made. So you would come up with your specifics. Say maybe you want your, the product to be pink in color. We would outsource those, your fragrances, and, and the, the maybe... This day, people are using natural ingredients. They would want essential oils incorporated in their products. We would then go and outsource them, and then that's it. We do the quality control. We, we, we manufacture for you. Along with your passion of basically keeping all of us beautiful and smelling fresh, there must be a couple of challenges that you encounter within your field of work. What are they? Our challenges are being innovative. Like I've said before, there are so many products in the market. So you have to come up with new products every now and then. If someone is, is formulating a, a, a certain fragrance and you want to introduce you, how unique is yours going to be? So you always have to be informed. So the challenges would be being innovative, having to read a lot, study a lot, be informed, be involved, know what is it that, that, that's done in the industry, the trends, so you must be informed, you must be very active. Those are challenges. Sometimes it's training. You cannot know everything that's done in the world. But the, the most important thing is for you to be informed and also be innovative. Come up with new ideas every now and then. Hmm. We've been speaking to Vivi Pasha. She's our feature scientist tonight on the show. And we've been speaking to her specifically about her everyday work and how a cosmetic chemist keeps us all safe and looking beautiful but later in the show we are going to get back to her speak to her a little bit more as a person her journey into this so you definitely want to stick around for that but we're going to take a little bit of a break with our unscience in just a minute you're listening to the science inside
bringing you science around major news events. As always, we take a little bit, uh, just a few minutes in the show level to look at something weird. It's called Unscience. It's the few minutes in the show where we look at some research that is strange, wonderful, just something to add to to the other things in the show. Just lighten it up a little bit and make us all realize that scientists usually also have a sense of humor. <laughs> what do you have for us tonight? Well, tonight my unscience is based on the fact that smiling doesn't necessarily mean that you're always happy. Okay. Quite an interesting one there. The story is from University of Sussex. The music is by Ben Sound and soundbible.com. Unusual. Unlikely. Unscience. Now, Alna, I want you to let me know, like, how often do you actually smile? I'm I'm quite smiley. <laughs> I think I'm a relatively happy person. So if I'm feeling happy, if I'm feeling good, I think I'm a smiler. I'm also one of those people that smiles at other people in the street. Oh, you're the creep. I, <laughs> no, I am the I'm the friendly one putting sunshine in the world, Lebo. It's okay, Alna. We'll accept you as you are. <laughs> but feeling happy and smiling makes sense, right? Because it's generally believed that if you're smiling, you're happy. And you said that you're generally very happy, and that's no surprise. But actually, a new study has shown that that's not always the case. It's found that people don't always smile just because they're happy. It's because they're interacting with someone or a group. Rather, not interacting with someone or a group. They don't smile because they're happy, interactive, or anything like that. The normal things that you'd expect. Okay. But isn't that... What? Isn't that why we're smiling? Because our lives are great. I'm so confused. Why would we be smiling then? I don't know about the whole life is great thing, but I mean, we try and make life better by smiling, interacting with people, laughing, making jokes. But these scientists say, no. That's not it. That's not it. Okay, so what is it then? (laughs) According to Dr. Harry Witchell, leader of psychology at Brigton and Sussex Medical School, the way people smile is often triggered by them thinking they are socially engaging, even when they're not. Whoa. Okay, so that basically means that when they're at a party with people they don't like, and they're like, ah, fascinating, (laughs) tell me more about that. (laughs) I feel like those smiles are more... Like you can tell you're not really smiling. You're just forced to smile. (laughs) Right. So how did they prove this exactly? So what he did is that he conducted a research study by asking 44 participants aged between 18 and 35, 35 rather, to play a geography quiz that consisted of nine very difficult questions. So they were likely to get these questions wrong. But... (laughs) Why would somebody smile during geography? I mean, some people love geography, but that's not the typical smiling scenario. You wouldn't smile while you're trying to figure out where this map is actually, like what this map is actually showing you. You're trying to figure it out. You're going to be focused. Unless there's like hidden treasure there. True. Then when you get closer to the treasure, it's like, yes, I'm going to get treasure and you're smiling and everything. But generally not in geography, I get (laughs) Or anything really in school. You don't Mm. smile at your tests. No. no. (laughs) So these participants were seated on like individual computers in a room where their faces were video recorded. After the quiz, the participants were asked to rate their experience using a range of emotions, including bored, interested and frustrated. Okay, so what was the verdict? Okay, so while completing this quiz, the participants' facial expressions were computer-analyzed frame by frame in order to judge how much they were smiling. Okay, which I am guessing wasn't a lot. I would assume. But let's see. Yeah. Dr. Witchell has said that according to some researchers, a genuine smile reflects the inner state of cheerful of cheerfulness and amusement, which makes sense, mm-hmm. right? However, according to behavioral ecology theory, all smiles are are tools used in social interactions and that the theory claims that cheerfulness is not necessary is not necessary for someone to actually smile. So the study has showed that 
in these human-computer interaction games, smiling is not driven by happiness, not at all, surprisingly. It is rather associated with subjective engagement, which acts as a social feel for smiling, even when socializing with a computer on your own. Oh, wow. So they were smiling because they felt like they were engaging with the content and with what was happening, not necessarily because it was making them happy. Exactly. But that makes sense. Sounds like something that we all do on our phones, looking at whatever we're looking at, and then we're just going to be smiling or laughing even sometimes. Sometimes in, in, a, in a taxi or on public transport, you see those people <laughs> suddenly smiling at their phones. You're like, what did you see? Exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm definitely guilty. I'm definitely one of those people that smiles just because. Ah. I mean, that's that's perfectly normal, I feel. Sometimes you catch yourself laughing, looking crazy in public. But, I mean, we all do it, right? Yes. And so you're not alone, Alna. On statistical basis, the emotion associated with smiling was engagement and not happiness or frustration. The frame-by-frame smile analysis broke down each of the nine questions into a question and answer period. It observed that participants did not tend to smile during a period when they were trying to figure out the answers, which makes sense. You're focusing, your brain is working, you don't have time to smile. However, they did smile right after the computer game has told them their answer was correct or wrong. And surprisingly, participants smiled more when they got their answers wrong. Oh, that's strange. But maybe they had gotten the wrong answer. This happens to me a lot in like quizzes. I get the wrong answer, but then, in fact, I had the right one in mind first. Or I don't know if you've ever had this. I know I have this when I'm writing tests and stuff and the test is really difficult and I see something I don't know. I just laugh because I know that I'm going to lie. Whatever's going to go on that paper is an absolute lie. So it's a smile of desperation. Pretty much. (laughs) And Dr. Witchell has said that during these quizzes, smiling radically enhanced just after answering questions incorrectly. So those people could be like me or you. Both cases could be true. And that is... That this behavior rather could be explained by self-rating ratings and engagement rather than by ratings of happiness or frustration as obtained from the ratings done at the end of the quiz. So the next time you smile, just remember that you're not really happy. You're just engaging. Unless you are happy, then Unless please, you are happy, please then, smile. You know, yeah, share your smile with us. And and I think the other takeaway lesson here is let's all have a little bit more compassion on you know certain people who smile in the streets or on public transport, we like Alma. Compassion for creeps. <laughs> <laughs> that has been uh, unlikely, unusual, and science. Keep listening after the break. We speak once again to Vivi Pasha, our feature scientist for the month. Unusual, unlikely, unscience. Stay curious, stay informed, stay on the science inside. You are still still on the show with me, Elna Schutz. And with me, Lavachang Madisha. In case you've missed the first half of our show on the line, we joined by Vivi Pasha, who's a product who's a product development technician at the CSIR. And in this part of the show, we dive a little bit deeper into her personal journey as a scientist, get to know her a little bit better. Who is she? <laughs> <laughs> so, Vivi, you grew up in Tembisa on the East Strand as a child of a boilermaker and a hawker. Now, where did you draw the inspiration to love science? Okay, um, I think when I was growing up, I was this intelligent, active child. And yeah, I think that it, it all came, I don't know whether it's genetic or what, but I just love science because I performed very well, but in both uh, the commercial stream and the science stream. But for some reason, I just loved chemistry. So, um, and then when I when I completed my matric, I decided, okay, let's study chemistry because I I already fell in love with it. You know, I didn't fall in love with the finances and all of that. So this is where the science came from. But again, my parents were so supportive as well in whatever that I decided to do. They were not like we choosing for you do this, don't do that. I told them what I wanted to do. 
yeah. which is amazing that you had your parents backing you all the way. And just curious, mm-hmm. when you said you're going to go to university and study chemistry, did you know you were going to go into cosmetics or was it just I'm um, diving into this chemistry thing because I love it? Can you please repeat the question? When you were going into university and studying chemistry, did you know that you were specifically going to choose cosmetics? No, no. Um, The cosmetic thing came into place when I was already doing my internship at the CSIR. Um, I was a chemistry research intern and we did a lot of research. And and then uh, we received clients who wanted cosmetic products. And in my team, uh, no one did cosmetics. We were just relying on the chemistry. And then it is then that I, because now we had to go and read and understand and do research and understand how to, to deliver on this particular project, which required us to formulate cosmetic products using natural ingredients. It, then the love came from me. I then inquired and enrolled in courses more. So I also realized that South Africa didn't have these courses at the time, you know. So we had the course games diploma, which was not official at the time. And uh, the Northwest University postgraduate diploma, it just began last year. So I, I, I fell in love with the cosmetic work while working at the CSIR doing my chemistry research. Wow, so you're the first generation of a great movement in cosmetics, basically. <laughs> yeah, we can say that because when I enrolled, the course was beginning. It was just the four of us in class, you know, so wow. we were just the four qualified uh, cosmetic chemists in the country. Wow, and the stream that you chose to take cosmetics into, like the more uh, safer, greener and efficient product engineering stream that you chose. It's very interesting. What inspired that? What was the reason behind that? Sorry? The fact that you chose uh, creating cosmetic products that were safer and greener and more efficient. What what inspired that very thing? Um, I think it's because, because currently... Consumers are now aware of what goes into their ingredients, I mean their products. They want to know what is it that goes into this thing. And you cannot just do things and say it's my secret formula. I cannot disclose, you know. So um, another thing is I saw that um, a lot of our skin is problematic. We've got issues of pigmentation, acne, you know, there's all sorts of uh, skin problems that we, we, we can't we what do I say, we experience as people. So I just decided, okay, because skin is a, is a God-given organ, it has a certain function, which is to protect, and, and also it forms a certain barrier. So if the barrier is compromised, then we, we won't have problems or issues with the skin or certain skin conditions. It is then that I, I was like, I was so curious to find out exactly how do I address this problem. And another thing is my problem, I used to have dry skin and no product in the market would really meet my needs, you know. I would apply product and then a few hours later I'm dry. Although the product is waiting 24 hours moisturization or 48 hours, you know. So it is then that I was like, I need to address this issue. I fell in love with this thing. I really wanted to know what goes into this product. How can we really you know, address certain conditions that we come across. Because it's not just, it's, it, a whole lot of people have skin conditions that, that are problematic to them. Since you, hi Vivi, it's Alma again, uh, since you just brought up trying to find solutions to um, specific problems, like you said, your dry skin, you are currently working on a, a foot cream, to give to give an example. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your work on that as we finish the show? Give us a bit of an example of your work. Okay, um, the foot cream is just my, my own uh, development. I've developed a foot cream for cracked heels, but I did this under the university project, which I did last year. And then uh, we were in the process of commercializing the product, but then uh, currently it's still on hold. It's something that will go go on in the future, you know, in the near future, that is. So the cream addresses issues such as cracked heels and dry heels. So 
when whatever ingredients that are incorporated in that product were ingredients that will will restore and heal as well because cosmetic products don't are not allowed to be claimed as healing but this one is it's going to be a medical food cream because of the ingredients that are used and they are safety i, I use medical grade ingredients that are going to assist with the healing and restoring the moisture and feeling the structure because cracked heels um are, are, um what do i say the structure of the skin is cracked and therefore we need to feel and restore the moisture and the liquids of the skin and then the, the heel will, will go back to its normal condition so i'm currently working on that well and if it's created by a, a cosmetic chemist i would feel much better about <laughs> buying that product yeah. than somebody who tells me oh it's just it's just like this brand or that brand <laughs> but v thank you so much for speaking to us Okay, thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was very, very interesting conversation. We've been speaking to Vivi Pasha as our feature scientist for the day. Keep listening. Stay curious. Stay informed. Stay on the science inside. Lebel, we've had Vivi with us for the whole show today. With quite a fun one even though there was a lot of chemistry in there i like the fact that she she was like you know what since no one can do the job right out there of (laughs) keeping my skin properly moisturized i'm gonna do it myself going to the lab that's dedication exactly i like that i like that a lot one thing that um, she kept mentioning, we didn't go into it, but it does make me feel a little bit guilty, and I know I have to improve on this, is is the um, the sell-by date and the use-by date. Oh, I don't follow those things, hey? I still have mascaras <laughs> from the dinosaurs <laughs> in my bathroom. Like, there's, there are products that just stay at home. You know those products that come in handy like once in a while? I, I can't think of one... Um, the one that gets rid of rashes. Yes. I know I, it comes in handy in the summer, but it doesn't finish in one summer, you know? Yes. So you're going to keep it for many more summers. And I know I never check the expiry date. I just use it until it's finished. Especially um, for makeup, because there might be colors that you don't want to wear every day. Maybe you're not a huge makeup user. You use it for that one wedding a year. Oh, yeah. And then... Yeah, I think I need to go home and have a serious talk with myself about throwing things away. You know, I have a solution for you, Alna. You must become a slay queen. Those people finish makeup, <laughs> definitely. They always finish makeup before the expiry date. Official <laughs> advice from the science inside. Be safe and become a slay queen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to me, Alna Schutz. And Mila Bhangmadisha. So a big thank you to Vivi Pasha um, on the show today. And our team behind the scenes is production by Bridget Lepehe, Golori Mabuza, and Hami Malefi. And tech, as always, by Kutlana Sohame. And our podcast is on vits.journalism.co.za forward slash science. And it's also on iTunes. You can also catch us on our social media on Facebook and Twitter at VowFM. The Science Inside is produced by the Wits Radio Academy, funded in part by the South African Department of Science and Technology. We will be with you again next week. The Science Inside, Monday from 6 to 7 p.m. on VowFM 88.1. The Science Inside Podcast.